dust we've come and dust we are and shall return be still my soul and let it go just let it go glory to god glory to god in the highest glory to god glory to god in the highest hey everyone welcome back to the podcast we are jumping right in to the season of lent Um, around our theme of tune in. This first week of Lent comes as a stark contrast to the mountaintop experience of last week. It is a call to descend, to explore the shadow of ourselves, to experience clarifying and sobering moments of realizing our mortality, and it's also a practical reverberation of our inner desire to be known. And our text from this week is from the lectionary's text for Ash Wednesday, Uh, where Jesus offers specific and practical calls for how to live life. Um, And here is our text from the message version, Matthew 6, 1 through 6 and 16 through 21. It's titled, The World is Not a Stage. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them. Treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage. Acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all that they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it, quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. And when you come before God, don't turn that into theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for 15 minutes of fame. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to roleplay before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you'll begin to sense God's grace. When you practice some appetite-denying disciple discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normally outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. God won't overlook what you are doing. He'll reward you well. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, the place you will most want to be and end up being.
the word of the Lord. So we gather um, this Sunday and more traditionally on Wednesday for this liturgical use of ashes, which the practice itself dates back to Old Testament times that ashes were a symbol of mourning, mortality, and penance. For instance, Mordecai and Job both express moments of mourning and repentance through this tradition of wearing a sackcloth and ashes as a public display. When, towards the end of the first millennium, the discipline of public penance was dropped, the beginning of Lent was seen kind of as a general penitential season, and so it was marked by sprinkling ashes on the heads of all. So this dates back at least to the 8th century. And we are constantly, I think, fighting a desire to do things right, which is a subjective quote-unquote, right. Somewhere along the way, we are taught of a religion of performance rather than a spirituality of presence. And there's a great amount of undoing that you might currently be in the midst of, whether you realize the depths of it or not. And so it, I think, is a bit ironic that we are given this text around humility, around doing practice in secret, uh, on this very public day of creating this mark upon ourselves, whether that is to mark yourself a Christian or a follower of Christ, however you differentiate those two, um, and also as a sign of our mortality. Without realizing it, uh, we make thousands of decisions every day, right? Decisions to turn off alarms, to step to the right so as not to run into someone walking the opposite way, to send that message or that email, the list goes on and on. And our inner compass guides these decisions, developed over time through a rich combination of experiences, teachings, conditioning, and values that are ultimately what our false self and true self, as Richard Rohr calls them, are comprised of. Most people's daily ethical choices are not between a total good and a total evil but between various shades of good, a partial good that is wrongly perceived as an absolute, or even evil that disguises itself as good. That's this false self. That this small self is separated from God, that it's insecure, always trying to make a place for itself. It gets tangled up in roles and identities and masks. This is the self that judges and compares and measures itself um, against all others. This is the self that takes offense, um, that is worried about doing something to get to God, to be deserving, to be acceptable. And then on the other hand, we have what Richard Rohr calls the true self, right? That our small self is in union with God, that's never not connected to God. The self is infinitely secure, knows it belongs, and cannot be offended. It cannot be thrown out of presence. We think our job is to get from you know, small self to God, when in reality it is trying our best to figure out and differentiate between this false self and true self. That our real job is to awaken or to tune in that this is our reality. 
And there lies, I think, the ironic paradox that Ash Wednesday calls us to consider our own deaths, that we are no more than dust taking up space on earth for a cosmic second, yet we make a mark on our foreheads declaring to the stage of the world that we are something. We are no more than dust, and yet we have the same chemical compounds and components that make up stardust. Called to be humble in the text, yet called in practice to display ourselves openly. We're also part of a religion of love, and yet it has been used for violence. So what is there to believe in anyway? I think this is a a true question. Um, You might hear even in my tone I think the, the exhaustion that sometimes we get to when we're trying to consider what is there to believe in anyway. The text talks about whenever you give alms, don't sound trumpet before you. Whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray on street corners so they might be seen by others. Now there's a huge difference in someone doing something for the true benefit of another and then someone doing the same action but using it for their own benefit or own praise. How do we decipher between action and intention? And I think this can be extended to the realm of how do we know who is speaking truth these days? In a culture of influencers and staged vulnerability, It does not take much of anything to create a platform and pretend that you have an answer for life's big questions, cure-alls for life's great suffering. If you just purchase this plan, you will find happiness. If you just arrange your home this way, you will find peace. I love the Knives Out and Glass Onion movies uh, with Daniel Craig, who plays this delightfully charming um, detective extraordinaire, Benoit Blanc. And I highly recommend these movies. Um, They're both entertaining murder mysteries and also social commentaries all in one. And without giving anything away, I think the most brilliant line from Benoit Blanc is in Glass Onion when he says, It's a dangerous thing to mistake speaking without thought for speaking the truth. Now our practice within our community is that there isn't one single true answer that we are seeking. There is a place for historical context. There is a place for our own experience. There is a place here for a spirituality of I don't knows and let's find out. How do we balance in this paradox between tradition and our experience? How do we balance between this text and then also this pull towards um, an action that is very bravely um, and I think very outwardly expressing something to the world? There's still value in this tradition of Ash Wednesday, even though our intention might not be the same. So what kind of message do you hope to portray through the season of Lent? and the use of ashes. This goes back to our whole idea and constant process of reclaiming. One project that I was a part of back in Chicago is something called Glitter and Ash, and we passed out ashes mixed in with glitter as a sign and a nod to the role that glitter has played in the LGBTQ community. Um, This was as an affirming church. Uh, Glitter is absolutely an element of queer history. It is this gritty, scandalous uh, sign of hope 
that we are conspicuous and we want to be out past, you know, maybe the lines that have been drawn before. And so there's this quote from uh, the creators of Glitter and Ash, where it says, Glitter is like love. It's irresistible and irrepressible. Any contact and it's all over you. Try to get rid of it? You can't. Want to put it back in the bottle? Good luck. Ashes are an in-your-face statement that death and suffering are real. And the glitter will be a sign of our hope, which does not despair. The glitter will signal our promise to repent, to show up, to witness, to work. Glitter never gives up, and neither do we. I love this blend of ash and glitter because I think it is, again, with both, we get a more full picture of why the tradition of Ash Wednesday is still important and how we can balance between allowing it to be a humble reminder of our own mortality while also signal a sign of hope that as we descend in this season of Lent, we might truly find something that helps us push forward. So how do we recover an inner compass, a guiding star that isn't based on experience of the world as a stage? Lent offers us time to slow down, tune in. Using the spiritual practice of doubt and questioning in tandem with a practice of reflection to journey towards ourselves, simultaneously soil and stardust. Our theme is based on an image by Lyle Gwyn Garrity titled the same. And Reverend Garrity says this, What are the voices that linger with you, like a ringing in your ears? What are the messages that try to deceive or doubt or devour you? Let those voices buzz and fade into the background. Close your eyes, tune in, and embrace yourself. From your belovedness, what song will you sing? So let us try to move in the season towards a good news that calls us to embrace ourselves, to readjust and rediscover what is possible in this new season. We can consider the death of things, whether that's our own end or the other kinds of deaths we experience throughout our life, the death of a relationship, of a dream, the loss of an ability, the list goes on. It takes time to let ourselves retreat to the caves of our minds, our hearts, as we seek and hope to find something that will drive us and move us forward. And maybe if we realize that the world isn't a stage, perhaps we finally have more space in our lives to reorient towards love. When we can finally give up not having to treat every moment of our life like a performance, Maybe we can finally relax into the space of what we hope to call just being. We're doing our best. We're trying to figure out how to be good humans for ourselves, for one another, in light of a spirituality and a faith that is constantly deconstructing and reconstructing. So I hope you'll join us for conversation on Sunday and looking forward to hearing what this time does still mean to you. As always, as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the best. Reduced it to its edges, 
course The road has passed you by But you will stand again And wear your chin held high Sing it in refrain Oh, the beauty it is to try